On this podcast, we discuss medical diagnoses and procedures. All of the guests express their own opinions. You should always seek medical advice from a trained and credentialed professional when making decisions about your own health. Welcome to the Sleep Apnea Stories podcast. I'm Emma Cooksey, and I've been coping with sleep apnea since childhood. I didn't know anyone in my life with a sleep disorder, so I decided to start this podcast. I'm here to build community and provide a platform for people with sleep apnea to tell their stories. Together, we can shatter stereotypes and raise awareness. We'll be exploring all sorts of treatment options and lifestyle choices to help you live your best life with sleep apnea. This is Sleep Apnea Stories, and I'm so glad you're here. Hey there, it's Emma Cooksey here, and I'm your host. So this week is like the busiest week of my whole year. Um, I'm getting ready to go to New York to um, speak at a Project Sleep event. So some of you who listen a lot know that I'm on the board of directors for Project Sleep. We're always trying to come up with ways to raise awareness about sleep health, sleep disorders, and sleep equity. And so this event is for journalists. And the idea is they'll get to listen to me and a couple of other patients and share our journeys and especially our delays to diagnosis so that hopefully um, we can get some journalists interested in writing about sleep and sleep disorders and some topics along those lines. So that's happening. And then I'm flying straight to Orlando where I'm going to be at the Collaboration Cures um, conference organized by the AAPMD. So hopefully I'll be doing a few interviews there with various different people that will be there. There's going to be some doctors and some dentists and all sorts of people involved with airway health. So and the other thing that's been happening that's very exciting is I'm finally getting to the point of being able to pre-launch my um, workbook. I've got a printed workbook that's called the six-week CPAP solutions workbook. And I'm going to talk a lot more about it when it's actually available um, for you guys to pre-order. But essentially what I did was I wanted to make a guide for new and struggling CPAP users and put in it all of the stuff I wish I'd been told when I first started CPAP. So if I just had this little workbook and been able to read all the information about what I needed to do to clean my machine and what I needed to do to troubleshoot all my problems, like I think I would have gotten on really a lot better much sooner. Um, but I would just say, if you want to be among one of the first people to pre-order the workbook, I am going to offer some 30-minute Zoom like coffee breaks with me. Because <laughs> the one thing you guys always ask for is I get emails constantly with people saying, I just want to pick your brain and ask you some questions. And obviously, it wouldn't be medical advice, but you can just kind of ask me whatever you want to ask me. Um, so that I'm going to send out to my email list first. So if you want to be one of the first people to pre-order the workbook and have a chance at being one of those people, then get on my email list. You can find the link in the show notes, or you can just go to sleepapneastories.com and scroll to the bottom of the page and sign up there. So on to today's interview with Dr. Michael Granier. Dr. Granier is the director of the Sleep and Health Research Program at the University of Arizona. He's the director of the Behavioral Sleep Medicine Clinic at the Banner University Medical Center and an associate professor in the Department of Psychiatry at the UA College of Medicine with joint appointments in the Departments of Medicine, Psychology, UA College of Science, Nutrition Sciences, College of Agriculture and Life Sciences, and Clinical Translational Science. In addition, he is a faculty member of the Neuroscience and Physiological Sciences Graduate Interdisciplinary Programs. 
So without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Michael Granier. So welcome, Dr. Granier. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Um, so last night, I kind of went a bit down a rabbit hole of your LinkedIn and ended up <laughs> on your academic CV. And I was scrolling and scrolling and I just wrote down, have him introduce himself. Because <laughs> um, so, you're super impressive, but you have so many different things that you do that I thought maybe it would be good for you to explain it to regular people so they can understand. Yeah, I mean, I wear a lot of different hats. I mean, really what it is, is um, I'm very interested in how sleep impacts health in the real world. Um, what health and well-being and longevity and all the things that people care about. And so all the different hats I wear are kind of in service to that. Um, where so so my background is I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, board certified in behavioral sleep medicine. Uh, and so what that means I see patients with sleep problems um, and we use non-medication treatments for sleep disorders. And you uh, still mostly see in, patients now, even though you're doing research as well. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. I, so, so, so we've got a clinic here in Arizona uh, with me and a number of other people. Um, I see patients one day a week. Uh, some of them see patients more, um, but we, I still see patients every week. Um, mostly insomnia, but but we work with sleep apnea, hypersomnia disorders, parasomnias, circadian rhythm sleep wake disorders. Um, and, and even people with mental health and physical health conditions that are impacting their ability to sleep. And we work with that as well. We work with a wide range of, of yeah. things. So that's that's one hat I wear. Um, but also, uh, I, I'm a faculty in the Department of Psychiatry here in the College of Medicine. Um, I've got joint appointments in a few other departments. Um, but mostly it's because, of, because the work I do sort of spreads out into some of these other areas. And as part of that, you know, it's mostly a research position where, I mean, to be honest, my my day job is writing grants and writing papers and and supervising grad students and postdocs and and supervising a lot of students. <laughs> and well, I mean, I, I I was very lucky to have excellent mentors who taught me so much, um, and I kind of see it as my moral obligation to pay it forward and and do that for as many people as I can. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so, and the, so the work we do is pretty broad from a research perspective where, um, for example, some of the projects we have going on right now, it's looking, one is say, looking at the role of sleep health at the intersection of psychosocial stress and cardiometabolic disease risk um, in the U.S.-Mexico border community. Mm -hmm. um, Another project uh, is looking at how adding adding a sleep health component, um, how adding a sleep health component can improve smoking cessation because mm. nicotine nicotine's a stimulant, makes you sleep worse, but quitting mm. smoking actually makes insomnia worse. And oh. um, and the worse your insomnia is, the more likely you are to smoke, especially at night, which tends to disrupt sleep more and increases stress. So. So um, this is in collaboration with, with Freddie Patterson at the University of Delaware, where we had this idea of what if we added a sleep component to smoking cessation and it dramatically improved quit rates. And so right now we're trying to scale that up. Um, and right now we're I looking at I love that because it. it actually impacts people's lives, you know, like exactly. people who are smoking. Like exactly. that's really important <laughs> to know <Yeah>. all that. <laughs> yeah. And so that's what we're, and right now um, we tried to get this funded in smokers in general, but it was, but we weren't able to, but what we were able to do is get it funded in, in smokers with HIV because um, people with HIV have worse cardiovascular health and smoking oh. is still one of the leading causes of cardiovascular risk. And so, um, and they're, they're more likely to smoke and they're more likely to have worse sleep anyway. So, um, so that's what we're doing right now. Um, we've got other, we've got all kinds of other projects. We're doing some technology development stuff. We're doing some circadian rhythm stuff. Uh, one of the really cool things we're doing right now is exploring this idea um, called uh, the sleep of reason or the mind after midnight, which is a which is a concept that um, we developed with a collaborator at the University of Pennsylvania, Michael Perlis, where. The idea is that you know how nothing good happens between two and five in the morning, like ever. Yeah. Um, 
And it turns out that that's true, kind of, where... Um, it's not just me. <laughs> yeah, it's not just you. Um, you know, we're not our best selves at that time. Uh, and this this came out of of some of this came out of some of the data from insomnia showing that people with insomnia have higher risk of all kinds of of, of unhealthy behaviors. One of the most prominent actually being suicide, which is which is a major public health problem. At least here in the U.S., it's, yes. most people don't realize it's the second leading cause of death for all age groups from 10 to 34, and it's still in the top five um, up to age like 60. It, it, it's really high. Yes, um, it's a big. If it were an infectious disease, we would be mobilizing for a vaccine like nothing else. Like, but it's but it's yeah. not. Um, and, and I so, think there's so, such an odd like our family was um, touched by suicide because my father-in-law died by suicide and I think that until that happened I don't think I realized quite how prevalent it felt because people yeah. don't really talk about it no people and I don't have so many people saying that happened to us or you know that happened with my uncle or you know and you realize well, yeah. why are we not all like really action stations trying to fix this problem I know it's, it's, it's just there's a lot of the stigma and and so so Dr. Prost is a he's a mostly an insomnia researcher and and um, he was one of my mentors and when I was at Penn we were talking about this idea that insomnia patients talk about being awake in the middle of the night and thinking all that then ruminating on all these, yes. these negative thoughts that during the day they look back on and think why was I so upset about that at that time and so we actually found some population level data showing that actually suicides spike in the middle of the night. Um, much higher than you would have expected by chance, uh, and and we've been we've replicated it over and over again. We've looked in other countries. We've you know we've, we've basically this is a, an extremely robust finding, and and right now uh, we're looking at it in terms of other unhealthy behaviors too in the middle of the night. Um, actually, we were looking at homicide data. We showed the same fi finding. Uh, those data we presented at the sleep conference, and, and hopefully they'll be published soon. And right now we're exploring um, unhealthy eating. In the middle of the night you know so all of the and the idea is that we think all of these have a common pathway where when we're awake when our body wants to be asleep when we not only have our sleep drive interfering with our ability to think well and yes. feel process emotions regularly but we also have our circadian rhythms that are um at the time when they're supposed to not be doing these things right and so if we're if we're sort of at uh, if we're at low tide in terms of brain function, because we're supposed to be asleep at the same time as awake and and, and we have our sleep drive high. And trying to um, make decisions. <laughs> right. So we're not yeah. thinking well. Yeah. So we know sleep deprivation leads to next day deficits. But what we're saying is whether you're sleep deprived or not, being awake in the middle of the night leads to leads to problems there. And so that's another thing that we've been exploring in the lab where we're trying to understand what's actually the neuroscience of this. Why is it that this happens? And can we identify ways to minimize the impact if people are going to be awake in the middle of the night? Um, like if they're shift workers or yes. if they have insomnia and, and, you know, being awake in the middle of the night is not unusual. Um, it happens, and so how do we minimize some of that risk? And so, so that's what that's a that's another thing that that we're focused on. Again, it's this idea of how do we get creative about real world solutions to sleep issues. So another thing that I do is is some technology development where we're looking at wearables yeah. and trying to figure out how we can use wearables data better um, in order to improve sleep rather than just measure it or just oh. make guesses at stuff. Um, another thing we're we're doing is is we're looking at um, special populations like different uh, different groups. So one group in particular we're looking at is athletes, where um, athletes um, are a unique situation because they 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 do have some health risks um, because of because of the strain they're under. They're at increased injury risks and things. But what's interesting is they they they're also it's kind of an occupational group. It's kind of you know, and then they're different. So swimmers usually are up super early to be in the pool by five in the morning yeah. or like, or baseball players, you know, and like the major leagues, they travel like every day while they're in, mm -hmm. so they're playing almost every day and, and, and night games when their body wants to perform a little earlier. And then there's all these sorts of issues that come up that become kind of little microcosms of everyone else's life. 
where where it blows out of proportion certain things that lots of people are struggling with. Mm-hmm. But they're under these these sort of controlled situations. So if we can figure out how to solve some of these problems in creative ways that get around all the constraints that they have. Plus they're super motivated because they right. want to figure want out to how to optimize like whatever sport they're doing. Right. Um, as opposed to people, a lot of other people in the working world who see sleep as a barrier to their success. You know, sleep is a waste of time. Sleep is time spent not working. Where when you're in athletics, sleep is part of recovery. Yes. And so you can, you can, it's sometimes actually been easier to get athletics organizations on board with sleep than say corporate people. Large corporations. Ex- yeah. Exactly. And so, but if we could show that it works for them, we can show that it works for everyone else too. Yeah. How did you get into sleep? Like, did you know somebody with a sleep disorder or did you have issues with your own sleep or you just got I just always studying? thought sleep was super cool. Sleep is just super fun. Um, so, so when I was like, I was always like one of those kids who asked like a million questions and would drive my parents crazy. And so when I was in, in high school, um, I worked at the mall bookstore when those things still existed, both malls and bookstores. So whenever, and I was really interested in dreams. I thought dreams were super cool when I was when I was in high school. I thought they were super cool to learn about, read about. I wanted to learn all about them. And every time we would get a book into the store that, that had something to do with like dreams and dreaming, I, I would I would get it and I would read it. And so I learned about a lot of the stuff. But it was a job you could have until I was sort of in college. And I had a friend who got a job as a tech at the sleep lab on campus. Ah. Wait, we have a sleep lab on campus that you could work at? Like, yeah. how cool. And it turns out that the guy who who was a, a, a new faculty person who was setting up that lab was teaching a course that next semester and ah. um, sleep. And I'm like, oh, shoot, I got to sign up for that. And so I did, and I loved it, and I volunteered to work in the lab as a, as a research assistant and turned into an honors thesis and an independent study. And... And you know, he it. taught me how to go to grad school. And like, this is this is a thing you could do. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I'm glad you yeah. find it. It's totally your thing. And oh, yeah. So a lot of the people that listen are people who have sleep apnea. Yeah. And I feel like there's this thing where until I had a podcast, I was one of these people, too, where when you have a diagnosis with whether it's obstructive sleep apnea or another sleep disorder, you kind of think that anything going on with your sleep is to do with that <laughs> diagnosis, right? Right. I right. come across that all the time. Like people are like, you know, oh, I'm having all these issues and but I've already been diagnosed and I'm already on treatment for sleep apnea. And people don't realize that you can have co-occurring multiple sleep disorders. <laughs> right. You can have insomnia with sleep apnea at the same time. So I guess I wanted to ask you to help us sort of parse that apart like so that people can spot yeah like, you know they're having are they having issues because they have sleep apnea or are they having issues because of a co-occurring insomnia or something else going on so if somebody has a diagnosis with sleep apnea and they feel like their treatment is working well for that and their doctor's all happy with it what would show up that they might need to then come to an expert like you to help them further with their sleep What's interesting is there's a kind of paradox where once people have sleep apnea, every sleep problem is sort of blamed on their sleep apnea. Yeah. But until they get the diagnosis of sleep apnea, every problem, not, none of their problems could possibly be due to sleep apnea. I'm like, no, 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 I don't have sleep apnea. I'm just tired. You know, it's that funny though, like where a lot of people are like, no, 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 I can't have yeah. apnea. Like no, I don't, I don't have, I just snore a little. It's, it's fine. I'm just a little tired during the day. I wake up a bunch of times during the night. It must be insomnia. It must be something else. Couldn't possibly be sleep apnea. But then they get the diagnosis, and then everything is sleep apnea. Isn't yes. it funny that that's kind of a paradox? No, that's absolutely and... what happens. <laughs> yeah, all <laughs> yeah, I, I do just, is I talk to it. people about this all the time. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. And and so this is the thing about the real world, where people are complicated, and, and sort of once they have something to attach to, they, they tend to see everything through that lens. And what doesn't help is that, a lot of, of sleep physicians are so focused on sleep apnea. And because sleep apnea could potentially explain all kinds of things, that it, it's like it becomes, well, I've got a tool to fix this thing. Yes. Um, this thing could potentially be causing the problems that you're facing. Yes. So I'm going to apply that tool. And if that tool doesn't fix it, well, it doesn't always work. 
oh well. And so then people are sort of left. Yeah. And and I sort of see that as a disservice. I mean, I'm not trying to throw any colleagues under the bus, but like I'm very like I talked about it's me I'm all about real world and I'm all about people. Right. And and many problems are solvable. Not always how people expect and not always to the degree that it needs to be perfect. So that's another thing, right. another problem sometimes is people's expectations where yes. you know people say like I, you know, I want to sleep like a baby. And by the way, anyone who says that has never had children, because nobody wants to sleep like babies do. But what they mean is, I want to sleep like an adolescent. Um, and the truth is, things change. You're not an adolescent. Yes. And and the good news is that's actually fine. That's okay. Your sleep doesn't have to be perfect to be perfectly right. fine. But what happens is people feel crummy, and then they go to well, here's the thing about my sleep that I think is wrong. And so I must fix that thing or else I won't feel better. And the truth is, sometimes the actual causes of some of these issues aren't what you think they are. So, okay, so to to, to actually get to your question. (laughs) First of all, a lot of people with sleep apnea also have insomnia. Insomnia isn't just a symptom. It's not just a thing that happens sometimes. It is sometimes. Like insomnia is like depression. It's a word that means a lot of things. Like someone have a can someone can have a stressful day and like oh I'm feeling depressed today and that could be true, but that's different from somebody who has a clinical, clinical depression, depression that requires yes. medical treatment, and they can they use the same word but it means something totally different, and I think as a society we've come to understand that a little bit, but with insomnia we're still we still see we still use the word interchangeably to mean lots of things and we get we confuse ourselves. Yeah. So there is such a thing as insomnia, meaning I'm having some trouble sleeping. Then there's sort of what I call insomnia with a capital I, which is the, the insomnia disorder. And so a way to know if you have an insomnia disorder, as opposed to just insomnia as a symptom, is if it's taking you at least a half an hour to fall asleep once you start trying, or if you're awake for more than a half an hour during the night trying to sleep and being unable or you're waking up a half an hour before you want to in the morning and just cannot get back to sleep even if you wanted to. So if there's more than, if there's a 30 minute period um, of wakefulness when you're trying to sleep and can't, whether it's beginning, middle or end of the night, and that's happening, and you know what? If that happens once in a while, no big deal, don't care. But if it happens more than three, three or more times a week, and if that's been going on for at least three months, you might have clinical insomnia. And especially if it's impacting your daytime functioning in some way. So a lot of people have insomnia for a million reasons. There's a million causes of of developing insomnia. Um, It could be anything. Could be stress, could be a combination of things, could be something happened in your body once that you didn't even know what happened, but it kept you up a little bit. Um, With sleep apnea, what causes it is two two big things happen with sleep apnea that can that can add insomnia on top of sleep apnea. First is the especially if the apnea is un, untreated for a while, you get events, and when you get respiratory events, it activates your body. Yes. Whether it's as you're falling asleep and you have these sleep onset centrals or whatever, or if it's during the night and you have an obstructive event that wakes you up, your body just got massively activated. And it's like you just got shot with adrenaline. You couldn't get back to sleep if you wanted to. You're, you are physically unable to get back to sleep until that wave of adrenaline then subsides. You know, whatever is causing that activation, if that subsides, then allows you to sleep again. But you don't know that. So you fight it and fight it and fight it and fight it and fight it during that time. It becomes a struggle because you have these respiratory events. So the respiratory events could become an insomnia. Another is the CPAP machine itself or some of the other treatments can become activating and become uncomfortable in any way and that causes that can create activation. Yeah. Now, the difference between acute short-term sort of insomnia that usually goes away on its own and chronic insomnia, actually, even though there's a million causes of short-term insomnia, there's really one main cause of chronic insomnia. And that's something called conditioned arousal. What that means is your body, so, you know, let's say you, you have some leg pain and it takes you a little longer to fall asleep, but you eventually get to sleep. And then eventually the leg pain subsides or maybe it becomes a little chronic, but your body kind of habituates to it and 
and you can you can get to sleep. you can sleep in lots of different things and humans have been able to sleep for for ever you know every every human has slept pretty much every day of every single life since the first one and before like it doesn't have to be perfect but it's fine but what happens is when the active when the activation leads you to not be able to sleep and that creates stress about not being able to sleep and if it goes on long enough and you fight it hard enough where the stress around not sleeping becomes predictable remember your your brain's a pattern recognition machine if you start recognizing a pattern that trying to fall asleep or awakening during the night or whatever it is where the act of sleeping becomes stressful becomes predictably stressful that itself creates you start anticipating it you you expect it to happen and that predictable stress becomes the very activation that keeps you from falling back asleep mm-hmm. it's sort of like the bed becomes the dentist chair where you're in the dentist chair nothing's happened yet you're already stressed you're responding to an event that hasn't even happened um you you i mean think about that we're predicting the future Yeah. We're responding to a future that hasn't even happened yet, but we're readying ourselves for it. And because we can predict it. You're like, you're in the waiting room. You're already kind of antsy. You're like avoiding making the phone call for the appointment because you're just thinking about it. Yeah. So that's... This episode of Sleep Apnea Stories is sponsored by BetterHelp. How well we look after our mind really affects how we experience life. Therapy has been so helpful to me since I was diagnosed with sleep apnea. It helped me to work through the feelings I had about going undiagnosed for so long. It also helped me to adjust to living with a chronic condition. One of the best things about starting my podcast has been realizing I'm not alone in coping with mental health issues along with sleep apnea. Speaking to a professional therapist has helped me enormously to manage my anxiety and depression. BetterHelp is online therapy and it's much more affordable than in-person sessions. You can get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash Emma. That's betterhelp.com slash Emma. I, I don't don't want to tempt fate because I feel like I've said this a few times and I've had like listeners be like, oh, don't say that out loud because like <laughs> you'll start getting insomnia. But so I would explain. So what happens with me is yeah. oftentimes I wake, will be aware that I wake up like in the middle of the night. I'm a CPAP user. Sometimes like I'll just kind of jiggle around and yeah. get more comfortable or something. And then if I stay awake for a little while, maybe 10 minutes or 20 minutes or something, I might go, oh, I'm awake. But I then yeah. start kind of going, where are we going on vacation? Hmm. I don't really <laughs> think about the fact that I'm awake. So yeah. I don't. So it's not really a problem in my life. Like it's just yeah. kind of like, so I don't think that I'm somebody who could benefit from insomnia treatment, whereas people who have right. a similar thing to me and are waking up for a similar reason, but then have a different reaction to it. Like that that's is why problem, I said, right? that's why I said part of the definition isn't just the awakening. It's right. that it's causing problems. Yes. If it's not causing, if it's not a problem, if it ain't broke, you don't need to fix right. it. Your sleep doesn't. So anyone who's ever had a pet knows that mammals don't get all their sleep in one chunk across 24 right. hours. That just, it's not natural. It's not normal. It's, mm-hmm. it doesn't, and, and not only is it unnatural, it's not required. The fact that people sleep in a couple of chunks, everyone wakes up multiple right. times during the night. The average person can wake up 10, 20 times during the night and they won't remember it because they're going to be super brief. The, yeah. you, don't, you don't sleep all the way at all. The, no, no human that I right. know of that is on drug has actually stayed through, if you know, they hooked them up and actually looked at their brain, had 100% sleep. Uh, sleep epics, uh, sleep chunks. 
through the entire night. Like it's not a hundred percent sleep. It's right. just not. It doesn't happen. So I think that, that we all have unrealistic yeah. expectations of what yes. good sleep looks like, right? Which and, is and, and that's a problem. When you have yeah. unrealistic expectations, you set yourself up for disappointment. So when you do have an awakening, you're like, oh, shoot, I'm awake. Oh, no. Then right. That creates stress, which yeah. keeps you awake longer as opposed to, oh, I'm awake. Well, of course I'm awake. I wake up a bunch of times. I must be right. remembering this one. Hold on. Let me see if I can get back to sleep. And if I can't, so it's sort of like when you sit down to eat. And you're not hungry. Like, do you panic about, oh, no, if I don't finish all this food right I mean, now, that never I'm going to starve to death. You know, like, <laughs> right, right. But like, yeah. it, but like, so, so like, if you have someone who doesn't eat, like, okay, right. okay, you're going to eat They're a little bit hungry. less today. You're not hungry right now. Yeah. Maybe, you know what? If you don't eat now, I'm just going to be hungry later. Okay. Well, that, you know, it, either, it, yeah. so maybe you're going to be hungry later and it's going to be a little too late to really eat. Okay, you'll go to bed a little hungry, you'll eat a little more at breakfast, and you'll be fine. You're right. going to survive. Right. And sleep, again, sleep doesn't have to be perfectly, perfectly fine. The problem is the stress right. around it. And sometimes the stress is out of your control. And that's where, like, actually the insomnia therapies come in. I mean, there's medications, but in terms so of that's the what I was about to ask yeah. you about. So people are listening to this, and they already have sleep apnea, but they're listening to you thinking, well, that's absolutely sounds like me. It sounds like maybe I have... <laughs> chronic insomnia right what should they i think a lot of people think of um sleeping pills and drugs but yeah. what what else what should people be doing in that situation yeah so so there's so there's two kinds of medication three kinds of medication for insomnia one kind is a lot of stuff that's being prescribed just for its side effects that actually doesn't really show a lot of benefit for treating insomnia and this includes things like um, the, probably one of the most prescribed medications in the world for insomnia is trazodone. And there's there's very, very weak data supporting it. It's just doctors like it and patients say they like it, but it doesn't actually do very much to sleep. Um, and it's not as safe as everyone always thought it was. Um, but like a lot of things, people are being prescribed to help them sleep that actually don't have much data to support them at all. Um, so that I, I put those all in sort of one category of like, the, the stuff that, and like a lot of doctors prescribe it, they don't even know that the data is as bad as it is if they're not a sleep person. So then there's the sedative medications, things like the Ambien and the Lunesta and, and stuff like that. Um, they work by boosting your sleep drive artificially, by sedating you. Um, and for a lot of people with insomnia, that helps. For a lot of them, it doesn't. Actually, sometimes their problem isn't insufficient sedation and tiredness. It's actually they're plenty tired. They just have too much activation on top of it. Um, so maybe you can overpower it. When people with sleep apnea, it becomes problematic because it reduces respiratory drive. And so there's some worry about that. Though with the CPAP, maybe that'll help. But um, I, I hear the, stories all the time that would yeah. make your hair curl. I, I I probably I've probably heard some of those too. Yeah, about um, people the, going yeah. undiagnosed for so long with sleep apnea and being given sleeping pills because they they're saying they're having difficult they're tired during the day and they yeah. think there's something wrong with their sleep and then yeah. going so long and that actually makes it worse. Yeah, making it worse and yeah, yeah. it's yeah. It's and then on top of that, um, and then the third the third kind is a newer class of drugs called the dualorexin receptor antagonists or the doras and so this is um suvorexin lemborexin daridorexin um so there's belsamra davigo and cuvivic are the ones that are on the market right now they work totally differently they're not sedating a lot of patients actually say they don't like them very much because they don't get that feeling of being dragged and sedated right um, what they do is rather than boost your sleep drive they actually take out some of the supports of your wake drive. And so it's sort of rather than drag you into sleep, uh, which is what actually a lot of patients wish, even though that's not really good for you. Right. Um, it opens but the it's door that whole, a little like, wider. People wanting to take a pill, like just give right, me a right. pill or a right. surgery. Right. Right. Which I mean, actually, really. yeah. I mean, so a lot of stuff that that's why people tend to like the stuff that's less safe because they like the feeling of it being out of their control because they feel very out of control. Right. And so they're like, they feel it taking over and, and it, and it, and it, they like the surrender of it, but that it doesn't, it doesn't actually work as well as people think. 
Um, but so these drugs work a little bit differently. They tend to work fairly well, but not patients respond to them all differently. But that's the medication options. Um, on the uh, another thing that that um, people should be thinking about is non-medication options for insomnia. Now, in non-medication options, one is supplements. Uh, and the first thing I'll tell you is, so I, I work with a lot of supplement companies. I know a lot of the data around sleep and supplements. Sleep supplements can be great uh, and helpful, but generally not for people with insomnia. Right. They generally, sometimes they're helpful. That they're helpful doesn't surprise me when people say, well, it did help me. Okay, maybe it did. But on average, it's probably not going to. Um, no matter what you Google and read, mm-hmm. if you actually look at the data, they don't fix insomnia. They might improve sleep, but it's sort of like uh, if it's if it's a ball rolling, they might help give it a little push. But if your insomnia is a roadblock, is a, is a big bump in the middle of the road, a little bit of push isn't going to be enough to get over it. But for someone who doesn't, who has a little bump or no bump, it'll help the ball roll a little faster. So like they do work from that way, but they're just not strong enough usually. And so that leads people to get very disappointed. And then they start micromanaging. Oh, I took I took this form of magnesium of this dose at this right. time. And the, they start stressing out about it and, and micromanaging it when I could have told you that, well, the chances of it working were actually kind of low anyway. Yeah. That's the difference between a supplement and a medication. Supplements, by definition, don't fix medical problems. They say, oh, they don't say on there. This statement is not right. intended to treat or cure any I other thought, condition. I did listen to, you did a, um Instagram live with Teresa and Drew at Sleep yeah. Better NYC. I thought that was excellent. You talked all about this on that. So oh, yeah. I, might, oh, yeah. I might link to that. Link it. Yeah, because yeah, I thought I mean, that that was super helpful. Like, people are looking for, let me take a pill that will solve my sleep. And that's yeah. not what supplements are doing so i thought that you yeah. explained like about melatonin and all these different things yeah. that people are are kind of like overdosing themselves on <laughs> right and, and unnecessarily because again I, I don't i'm not saying that supplements don't work it's just so people say do you recommend melatonin i say I recommend melatonin for all the things that it does and for none of the things that it doesn't do right and one of the things supplements don't do is cure insomnia typically um and and that's why that's the difference between a supplement and the medication supplements can can improve your body's natural functioning but they don't fix problems if they were they'd be patented as a drug and sold as a drug if the evidence actually existed but it doesn't um uh so that's one thing another thing is is um behavioral stuff so behavioral behavioral treatments for insomnia fall under three categories um one is sleep hygiene two is cognitive behavior therapy for insomnia and three is the other stuff Sleep hygiene. A lot of people confuse sleep hygiene with actual treatment. Yes, it is not. <laughs> it is not. I, I don't know how many, like even a lot of doctors, I have to tell them, stop giving a sleep hygiene handout as a behavioral treatment for insomnia. It's not. Sleep right. hygiene is hygiene. It's not nothing. Hand washing is hygiene. Everyone right. should be washing their hands. It's great to wash your hands. Yeah. Hand washing can prevent infection, can prevent the spread of infection. And if you're sick, you should be washing your hands twice as much. But Washing your hands will not replace an antibiotic. It doesn't work that way. Right. Brushing I your also teeth is feel like I almost feel like sleep hygiene, I think, is great for people who, like, maybe at the very start of their journey, they're like, yeah. I don't think I'm sleeping well. Well, yeah, try loads of sleep hygiene things for a few weeks or something. And then that if that space? doesn't yeah. help, go and see your doctor. <laughs> exactly. You know? Yeah. It's like brushing, I was saying, brushing your teeth is also hygiene. Everyone should do it. There's right. ways to do it better, but yeah. you can't brush your way out of braces. There's no, it's impossible. Right. And sleep hygiene is so useless for insomnia that we usually use it as the placebo control. And for sleep apnea. <laughs> right. Like and what sleep hygiene does, exactly like you said, it identifies and removes obvious barriers. If you don't have those barriers, but you still have a bump to get there, maybe it's not a barrier that's in the way. Maybe maybe you actually have a medical condition, and so 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 that, please don't confuse sleep hygiene with right. sleep treatment. So that sleep you hygiene know. was the first of the three. Yeah, yeah. The second one is the most important, which is cognitive behavior therapy for insomnia. Um, CBTI is recommended every medical organization, even the ones that prescribe the medications that have any guideline for treating insomnia, list this one first. 
for a reason. It's been around, I don't actually don't know anywhere else in all of medicine and all of psychology where you have a condition like insomnia that's this common, that's this reliably tied to outcomes that people care about, where you have a treatment like CBTI that is this well studied for this many decades, in this many studies, in this many different populations, that's shown to be reliably effective in anywhere you do it, uh, on average, um, in, in pretty much any population, no matter whether they have fibromyalgia, chronic pain, sleep apnea, lung disease, cancer, it still works. Um, no side effects. Have, well, well, I can't say no side effects no. because everything has side effects. I mean, so okay. like, so like, sometimes you know doing homework because you know, it requires tracking things. Sometimes tracking okay. things can be stressful, and and sometimes you you oh, compress your schedule. Okay, yeah. Which because the, the sometimes the schedule compression can make people stressed or like make them a little more tired for a couple of weeks before you stretch it back out again. Like everything's yeah. got effects, but it, but but nothing compared to the medication, right? So it's way safer. And, and when you compare it head to head with medications, it actually tends to do as well or beat them. And um, over the long but, term as well. And, and over the long term, like with the medication, sometimes, you know, sometimes the medication that's a Band-Aid, like and then you take it away and, the, and, and you're healed. But sometimes the Band-Aid just covers it over and it never heals. And when, when you take it away, you have a problem again. And so... Um, with, with CBTI, actually, the data show that not only do people get better, uh, an, an equal number or more people get better with CBTI than with medications after the same, give it the same amount of time. Yeah. But once you stop, a lot of people with medication stay fine, and some of them drift worse. Uh, but with CBTI, on average, people tend to get better. Like you follow people one year, two years, 10 years later, they're actually better than when they ended because they now they know what to do. So for somebody with... Sleep. I know I'm like hammering at home, but That's like fine. for somebody with sleep apnea, no matter what treatment option they're yeah. doing for sleep apnea, they can do CBTI at the same time. Like yeah. people can well, treat so, so your, your doctor's insomnia. not going to like it when I tell you this. A lot, a lot of the sleep okay. doctors don't like this, but the data actually shows that you do not wait to treat the sleep apnea first before starting CBTI. The data that, are pretty I hear that clear. all the time from doctors. Yep. They don't know. They don't know the data. It's not on their board exam. It's, it seems counterintuitive right. because you think, well, if there's something medically causing an awakening, why would you try and behaviorally quell an awakening that you can't prevent? The tr the pro and, and that's because they, they often don't understand the CBTI process really well and what it's actually doing, where actually the data show that because, well, first of all, the data show that you do them at least at the same time. You can, and because you can reduce the insomnia, which actually helps them in their yes. treatment better so that you're not giving someone with insomnia, with severe insomnia, a CPAP machine that they then can't sleep with. Right. But, and actually, a lot of patients, at least in the U.S. healthcare system, have to wait so long to not only get diagnosed, but to get their treatment that you could go through an entire CBTI process before your CPAP even shows up. And it yeah. sort of inoculates you against some of those problems. You might still have some more work to do later. But the data actually showed that you can reduce sleep apnea symptoms with just CBTI in sleep apnea patients while they're waiting for their machine because they have less of that activation waking them up. Yes. And and it reduces the it, it reduces the impact on their next day functioning and 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 they can be more ready to use the the treatment at the time. So like. So no, the so, data are not, do not suggest. Get wait, on it, people. <laughs> just do it. Um, yeah. The problem is finding someone to do it is tough. Right. There's a couple of good directories. One is the, the Society of Behavioral Sleep Medicine is the main professional organization yeah. here. So um, I can link to you, that. So people yeah, can yeah. Go to behavioralsleep.org. There's a, there's a directory. Uh, another great directory is actually the website is just cbti.directory. Okay. Um, that's set through the set up the University of Pennsylvania where they do lots of trainings and they have a directory of everyone who's ever been through any of their trainings or 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 is in the field. Like it's another just way yeah. to find somebody. Okay. Internet and even internationally. Um but so there aren't really enough of these practitioners though, right? Not really. And I mean yeah. so, yes, and I mean, not really, but there's also a lot of people out there who don't know that we exist. And so, so like, this is a chicken and the egg problem, honestly, like, 
one of the reasons there's not a lot of practitioners because nobody goes in, no one gets right. training in it because they don't see it as necessary. Yes. You know, and so, well, if we got more referrals, if more people were asking for it, so like, you know, if everyone asks their sleep doctor, where can I get CBTI, where can I get CBTI? And the sleep doctor goes to their administrator and says, we really need to hire a CBTI yes. specialist. The hospital will be like, well, do you have enough patients to see them? Well, I'm hoping everybody listening to this will do that because yeah. honestly, that's the same as I feel like everything with sleep apnea because yeah. well, there's so many treatment options that just aren't being offered to people because there isn't that, like either the doctor doesn't know where to send people yeah. or there's not that knowledge that it's available. So people aren't asking. Um, That's why I'm a big believer in patient empowerment where, yeah. where, where a lot of times, unfortunately, our system is built on patients requiring to be their own advocates. I wish it weren't that way, but it is. Oh no, def it is definitely that way. And, and, <laughs> And so sometimes, you know, the doctor will be like, well, we don't really have anyone to refer to. Oh, the other, th the other thing I could tell people is just because there's no one in your area, there's two things that you should know. First of all, most of the people doing CBTI are psychologists. And the way psychology licenses work is similar to medical licenses where it's by state. By state, yeah. But most of us can see people via telehealth. So yes. if you live in, say, Missouri, and you're in a city that's 500 miles away from the nearest city that has someone in it, who cares? Just call them anyway. Get on their schedule yeah. for a telehealth appointment. You're within state. It's all fine. I, I mean, I'm not going to sample that Missouri. It's just I know people in Missouri. There's something called SIPACT, um, P-S-Y-P-A-C-T. What SIPACT is, it's a growing list of states that are recognizing um, out-of-state practice for psychologists because there's such a need for not yes. just cbti but but any kind of across health. the board yeah and so what sipact is it's state legislation where if a state signs on to sipact is if a psychologist has a license in any sipact state they can do telehealth in that state so if if i'm in a if i'm a if i'm a psychologist who, who has a license that's filed with SIPAC, who meets the extra, the extra things to get a SIPAC certification. And I'm in a SIPAC state, and you live in a SIPAC state who has no one near you to do telehealth. Yes. Just call me. We can do oh. telehealth. I'm allowed now. Okay, I so, love that. So, so there's lots more options out there than people even know. And, and again, I think this is a chicken and the egg problem. People keep saying, well, there's not enough providers. Well, there's not enough providers because people because are people, people aren't seeing it, it as a viable career path, so people yes. are be like, "I need to get training in this." Yeah. So that's um, what tell that's us, what we're trying to do. Tell us a little bit about you're involved with the Sleep Reset app. Yeah. So yeah, tell yeah. us so, a little so, bit about that because sure. that's that seems like it's really trying to make this accessible to lots of yeah. people. Yeah. So Sleep Reset. So um, there's a way to automate. First of all, to take a step back, there's a way to automate aspects of CBTI. There's there's a number of programs out there um, like ShutEye and Sleepio, and there's a few digital CBTI options. And the v, the Veterans Affairs, the VA, has one that they've been working on. Yeah. Um, CBTI, um, even just the basic principles of it are actually not are so simple. You can actually automate a lot of the process get people to do it and it works fairly well not as good as with a therapist but right. you know again getting access is tough and it's way better than nothing yeah um and, and so i would imagine i mean i'm not a clinical psychologist yeah. survivor but i would imagine that there's a difference between somebody who this is a fairly new problem you know they're like for the last couple of months i've been having this issue and versus somebody who maybe has a, a longer term issue and some other things going on like Exactly. Yeah, maybe there's certain well, people who would do well. And there's yeah, all kinds but... of complications. Right. Um, so so there, there, there's apps out there for CBTI itself. And there's also books out there. So some of the best ones are uh, Quiet Your Mind and Go to Sleep by uh, Carlene Carney and, and Rachel Mamber, who are, who are some of the leading people in the field. They joined together in this book. Uh, and the Insomnia Struggle, uh, Ernst Truman Brasi is great. Uh, the Insomnia Workbook, I think that's uh, Silverman. Um, there's a few really good self-help books we can link that to sort of all walk, of those <laughs> yeah that walk you through the process i could even yeah. send you those are just a couple off the top of my head um that sort of walk you through the process so again for some people that's super helpful because 
All they needed was the information. Once they knew what they were supposed to do, they could do it. Sort of like with weight loss stuff. Sometimes all people need to know is what to do. Most of the time, that's not enough. Most of the time, because because humans are complicated, At things are complicated. <laughs> yes. And and so that's why it's like for the people for whom the information is enough, they're great. Um, for a lot of people, that's not quite enough. But it's better than nothing. Again, so where Sleep Reset comes in, it's actually different from that. Where this is sleep coaching. So the way I think about sleep coaching is it's sort of like the difference between supplements and medications. Where supplements can help make things better, but they're, they're not really there to fix major problems. Right. Um, uh, another, another metaphor is a personal trainer versus a physical therapist where, where coach sleep coaching could be like the personal trainer versus people like me who are more like the orthopedist, uh, or a physical therapist where like you wouldn't go to a personal trainer with a broken bone or, or, or chronic pain or whatever, where that they can help you, you know, if you have injury recovery, that's what the, the, the licensed professionals are for. But if you just want to learn how to do squats better, right. or if you just want to learn like, hey, am I doing this right? Or like, or, or have some or, accountability that right. someone's going like, to ask. Someone's going to watch you and spot you yeah. while you do whatever. Yes. That's what personal trainers are for. They're not licensed professionals. They don't have medical training. And that's okay. Right. There's a different role. Same thing. Uh, um, and so that's what I think sleep coaching is for. Sometimes sleep coaching the problem is coaching doesn't mean anything. It can mean whatever you want it to mean. It's in not terms a of credentials, term. I think you see yeah. a vast array like, of different Right, and backgrounds. so coaching credentials, they're, they're currently um, zero with an asterisk, and I'll explain it in a minute, coaching credentials that have any value right. for sleep. Uh, anytime I see a coaching credential, um, I ignore it. Um, and actually, the more someone touts it, the less I trust them because I know how useless it is. Right. Because um, there's no legitimate organization that's done them. With the asterisk, so CCSH. CCSH. Okay. Yeah, let's say yeah. CCSH. CCSH is the one exception where it's not really. It didn't. Wasn't supposed to really be coaching, but right. it is. That sort of is sort of sleep coaching. CCSH is um, that this is from the BRPT, which is oversees the the RPSGTs, which do the, the so sleep apnea people will know RPSGTs because yes. they're the ones reading your sleep study. Those are the sleep tests. And sticking stuff and on so, your head. <laughs> exactly. These are people. And so the, what CCSH came out of was this movement where once there was moving towards more home tests, we didn't need as many people staying overnight all the time. And so what it was, so what are some other things sleep tests can do? They've got lots of experience in sleep. What can they do during the day? Yeah. And so, but they're not licensed psychologists or doctors or nurses. Like, so they don't have medical licenses or related licenses. Yeah. So what do you do? And so that's where the CCSH came is like, let's create an organized way to get them to be sort of paraprofessionals. And also let's remember that the people, especially the people with sleep apnea, yeah. could really use some one-on-one yes. help and support like you know yes. like adapting to CPAP and and I feel like you know a lot of the people I know who are who have gone the CCSH route like who started in um you know like they maybe still are doing the sleep tech thing but they're able to actually have more time with patients yeah. and run clinics where they explain a bit more about CPAP and and I think that that's a great thing yeah I mean that's why CCSH is just sort of the one exception but the reason I, I call it an asterisk rather than one right. being good is that when most people think of coaching, sleep coaching, they don't think of what CCSHs do. CCSHs right. are, are mostly education. sleep apnea paraprofessionals. Yes. Um, and they can do more. And actually, the Society of Behavioral Sleep Medicine is working with them to try and increase their curriculum and broaden it a little bit to make it a little more behavioral. And that would stuff be like great. That. So, but... So, so coaching, it's still sort of wild west. And so what Sleep Reset is, it's a coaching platform. So it's not for people who are, who need it as treatment for a sleep disorder. It's for people who might already be getting treatment for sleep apnea or some other right. sleep disorder, but still have aspects of their sleep that might not meet criteria for an insomnia disorder, but could probably still use some help, some accountability, some guidance, some tips. Yeah. Um, it's the, the, the way I see it is the different, what's the difference between therapy and coaching? The field is, this is a highly controversial area right now, but I, hugely you know, controversial. 
Yes, but I, 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 as usual, am happy throwing myself out yeah. in front of, of things and, and taking the hit for What do I care? I'm a patient. Nobody's right. Gonna... But this is the thing. But this is why I do it. Because, it's because you know, as we academics wring our hands, patients are looking for solutions. Yes. And, and either we embrace this and guide it or put our heads in the sand pretend it doesn't exist or insult it but patients don't care right. patients want help and it's clearly meeting a need so yes. so this is why this is why I, i've sort of put myself out here only because it's what pa- it, it helps patients and it would and be really it, like from a patient perspective it would be really nice if there was a clear way, like there was a credential that maybe, maybe yeah. sort of a beefed up CCSH, <laughs> yeah. you know, well, like where well, we well, can behavioral stay. Behavioral medicine's working on it. They're working on a credential. Yeah, I think that, uh, that would reason. be enormously helpful just yeah. for people who, because I mean, I talk to patients all the time and I think that... Um, sometimes it's just a bit confusing. Like they don't know, yeah. like they're reading people's credentials and it doesn't really mean anything to them. Right. They're like, Oh, you trained with some health coaching. Yeah. Person, and and a lot of coaching really... people, what they're doing is either glorified sleep hygiene, which can be helpful as yeah. coaching. Um, but what they, the, the thing that annoys me is they, they keep calling it CBTI. First of all, sometimes by mistake, not... and sometimes they're doing what they think is CBTI. Then they call it CBTI, but like T stands for therapy. They're not therapists. Right. This is doing a therapy. There's a difference between therapy and coaching. Yes. And 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 a good. So providing the wording is coaching, like yes. and, and yeah. No, I it know can, that I, is. I'm okay really... with them calling it CBTI based because so so in my opinion, the difference between therapy and coaching. Therapy is when you really need to know what you're doing to figure out what tools to use, when to use them and when not to, and yeah. when to, ro- and, and, and so, so when there's some sort of risk involved, but coaching is in my mind, anytime you could tell anyone, if it's something you could essentially tell anyone on the street, then it's probably okay to be coaching because it's not risky. So it's like, right. it's, it's, there's stimulus control therapy where we work with people to get out of bed if they can't sleep and we work on, on lots of details around. But that doesn't mean anyone on the street can't learn the principles of stimulus control. And like, hey, if you're in bed, and like, I think anyone can tell anybody, hey, if you're lying in bed for a half an hour, especially if you're stressing about it, get up. You're not doing yourself any favors. Get up, take a break, go back to bed later when you can actually fall asleep. I think anyone could tell anyone that. So I think it's okay for coaches to talk about sleep uh, stimulus control. But they're not, as long as you're not, in the realm where you're in these gray areas of where there's some safety, there could be safety issues, there could be interfering with a medical condition, it could be doing this other stuff. Right. That's more the therapy side. Yeah. When it's something you can kind of tell anyone, I think that's fine for coaching because you're it's mostly educating yes. and support, educating and purely. Yeah. That's what coaching And I think some of the better coaches that I've, you know, spoken to, I feel like they spend a lot of time like carving out this is exactly what we do. Yeah. We don't give medical advice. We're right. not clinical professionals. Right. Like, you know, and they're and, also and, great frontline people at identifying, um, you're coming to me as a coach. You've got a sleep disorder. Right. I need to get you Go referred to a, a specialist. Do- right, exactly. Yeah. This is this is this is, this this isn't just sleep deprivation. This is narcolepsy. You know, like you need to I this is out of my this is I need to send uh, me as the personal trainer needs to send you to your orthopedist for right. this one. Because right. I can't fix this. This is not, this is actually a problem. Yeah. So I think coaching treats. So that's what Sleep Reset is. It's what they did is, um, and my involvement was sort of helping them design the program that uses what we know about sleep and circadian science without trying to stay on this line of it being therapy, but keeping it as general as possible. Right. But, but, but still helpful. <laughs> but still helpful. Yeah. And, and so that's, that's, that's what sleep reset is it's where it's, so they've got an app where people, it helps people track their sleep and, and they have live coaches, but it's text-based and it's not therapy, but they are supportive and they can help clarify things and they can help give people some advice. Um, my, you know, and, you know, we're, we're defining the space We're we're all still trying to figure out what's the line between therapy right. and coaching. But, but what I'm trying to do is 
let's take all the good that we can, as opposed to like the crappy coaching that doesn't know what they're talking about yes. or just making stuff up or based on something they read and misunderstanding it. Well, what if we take the actual science and turn it into coaching based advice, not therapy, what would that look like? And that, yes. and that's what, that's what we're trying to do with sleep reset. I mean, there's other coaches out there too. I'm yeah. not necessarily saying this is the only one, but, but yeah, yeah. so that's like, I think it's like the sleep reset. Doctor. I mean, I think from, I just view everything from the patient's perspective and I just think yeah. like the more options that we have, exactly to be the better. Right? Exactly. Like, yeah. And, and, and actually the coaches, one of the things that we're, that, that I've been working with, with the coaches to help them identify when someone should probably be sent for a sleep disorder diagnosis and treatment anyway, unless yes. they're already being, so like if you're a sleep apnea patient, you're already being seen by a sleep physician. Right. So this can help fill in some of those gaps. Yeah. But if you're some, because the, the sleep doesn't, physician doesn't have time to, you know, like they have no, six they minutes don't. or something. So it's like, right. they're kind of checking that your CPAP's working, how it's supposed to be working or whatever. And like higher level than like getting into, you know, sleep hygiene and. Right. And what are you doing at nine? And oh, maybe, yeah. you know, like, okay. When, when you're, you know, your mask keeps waking you up, well, what, you know, is there a way we can modify your routine? to help make this a little easier for you like yeah. stuff like that like yeah that's fine for coaches like that's what ccshs right. have been doing this for a long time anyway yeah. and yeah. so like so so something like like sleep reset or a different coaching platform could be great for people who are sleep disorders patients and using this to fill in the gaps or also i mean also for just people who are struggling with sleep issues who may not know they have a disorder and then they they can help triage them or or like they know you don't have a sleep disorder but you think you could sleep better I mean, the data show that when people start this program, the ones who make it all the way through, you know, slept way better than they did in the beginning on that's average. Right. Yeah. You know, and the one thing that that sleep reset did that a lot of even a lot of sleep therapies don't actually increase amount of sleep time very much um, because like, you know, insomnia treatments are focusing on getting you to sleep, not yeah. necessarily getting you sleeping longer. Average sleeping pills don't increase sleep time by very much. Even sleeping pills don't. CBTI also doesn't tend to increase sleep total time of sleep by very much. And a lot of patients kind of want that on top of whatever it is. So that's yeah. actually another really good use of coaching is increasing sleep time because amount of sleep actually isn't a diagnosis. Like insufficient sleep, like the sleep deprivation actually isn't a medical condition. It's just, it's a symptom. Uh, it's a problem. It's actually not even a symptom. It's not one of the criteria for insomnia. It's not one of the criteria for sleep apnea. Getting a getting less than optimal amount of sleep isn't, but it isn't has a huge good. impact on right. people during the day and like you know, and that's the, the thing quality that sleep of coaching life. can be great for because yeah. it's not a clinical issue. So so you're not treating a clinical disorder by helping someone find more time to sleep because it's not a clinical problem. It's a it's, that's more of a lifestyle issue yeah. that coaching can help with. Yeah, that's well, another that's great use. So yeah, so we showed so. So in the, when I helped design the program, I put that in there so that, you know, on average, the people who went through the whole thing, they ended up sleeping a bunch more by the end. Um, I haven't managed to cover half of the stuff I wanted to ask you. Um, so <laughs> we, could do this again. we could do this again. We that's could do what a follow-up. That's what I'm saying. I, like, I have a whole bunch of questions, but it's all okay. So just before I let you go, um, I just saw, when I was on your LinkedIn, I saw the thing yeah. about the Canyon Ranch. Canyon Ranch. Yeah. yeah. So Talk that's super that. cool. So this was an idea um, uh, that... I mean, tell me really fast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this came from an idea of, can we take everything we know about sleep science, marry it with sort of like this wellness retreat concept and that people are already spending a bunch of money for, let's yeah. just make those better. And, and so I've been trying for 15 years to find someone willing to do this. And, and so finally I found someone who connected me with someone who connected me with someone who connected me with the, the right person. Canyon Ranch is perfect because they're like a wellness spa, but they also have physicians on staff and, and personal trainers and nutritionists. They have the actual credential yeah. people as well as all the wellness stuff. And so we sort of designed this, this program to be like the perfect sleep retreat, the best we could do in four days, four or five Amazing. days. Uh, we've got everyone gets actually everyone gets um, uh, a home sleep apnea test read by a physician um, and they also you know talk about behavioral stuff we do wearable stuff they meet with a the nutritionist they meet with the, the exercise physiologist they meet with they, they get a cooking demonstration from the chef about about healthier foods to eat at night 
like they get you know, and they get all the spa stuff and it's in this great setting it's like Amazing. the best of all the worlds and yeah. it's super cool and the people who do it um at least from what i've seen are sort of off the charts happy with it um it's, awesome. it's canyon ranch so it's expensive but yeah it's just it's beautiful and I would love to figure out a way to, like this is a, what it's just an interesting real world sleep health intervention. Yeah. I mean, I, I wish there was a way we could make it more accessible, but right. it's, I just think what they do is great. They're a great organization and, and leveraging and so all they have. You've done this before. Great. So I guess my question is, have you had people with undiagnosed sleep apnea show up? Oh, yeah. I'm sure. Oh yes. Yeah. This is why everyone, this is part of the deal is everyone gets yeah. um, a sleep apnea test. So some people knew they had sleep apnea, didn't tell anybody and it's still there uh some people knew they had it they're using a cpap and then we get to see if it's effective but there's always a few people we've done this a couple times now and every time there's always at people least a couple people who had no idea and i'm thinking you're spending all this money to spend a week at like one of the world's greatest retreats yeah and then and your time we're focusing on sleep and you're saying and you're here probably because you're struggling with sleep if you were struggling with sleep, and if one of the main causes was an undiagnosed sleep apnea, and we did all the other things and we didn't even check, we'd feel kind of foolish. Right. And a lot of these people just have no idea because a lot of times yeah. they they didn't meet the obvious criteria, whether it was like women. Women yes. are undiagnosed with sleep apnea more likely because they're not, like women who were not like obese or yeah. like men who were not over 50 and, and yeah. had BMIs over 40, but still, you know, maybe they, you know, men who were in shape, but, but we're still feeling really tired. I've interviewed a ton of them. Exactly. <laughs> and so that, and, this yeah. is why, this is why it was part of the deal. This is why when we did, when I designed the pro program, this tenure, I said, we got to put this in because it's so important. So important. Well, awesome. listen, Dr. Granier, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. All I, right. I, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. I love hearing from you. If you'd like to be featured in an upcoming episode, please email me at sleepapneastories at gmail.com. That's also the place to get in touch if you just want to say hi or ask a question. Alternatively, you can always reach me on Instagram. My handle there is at sleepapneastories. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. This really helps a wider audience to find the episodes and I really appreciate it.